<clears throat> so tonight I'd like to talk about demystifying the sense of self or investigating the sense of self. And I was reminded of a poem, I'm not sure I remember it exactly correctly, uh, but the day reminded me of it. The winds of change blow across emptiness. Whom can they harm? That's really how I felt today. The difference between the sense of self and no sense of self, which can both be present from moment to moment, either one, is when I was resistant and cold and pulled in and aversive, there was self, clinging, identified. And when the winds were just blowing across emptiness, there was no problem. And that could change (laughs) from moment to moment. So when uh, James directed us to notice clinging, the movement of clinging or grasping, the moments of non-clinging, of non-grasping, this is so key to our coming to live in freedom because the ultimate clinging a kind of core grasping, if you want to think about it that way, is clinging to the sense of I and mine. So I want to talk about it, not hopefully, in an intellectual or philosophical way, but in a way of really directing our investigative attention, directing our attention into what we're calling me, I, or mine, in any particular moment of experience, just to meet that with attention rather than living in assumptions. And I want to use um, as a kind of framework the way that Ajahn Buddhadasa talked about this particular issue of emptiness. In one of the suttas, someone asked the Buddha to just tell me, basically, in one phrase, what is it that liberated one's no that I don't know? (laughs) Just lay it out. (laughs) And he said, okay, what they know is that nothing is worth clinging to. Nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as I or mine. That's what they know and what we don't quite totally get yet. (laughs) But it doesn't, the talking about anatta or no self or emptiness, the usual translation of the word shunyata, it doesn't have to be an esoteric philosophical experience. As a friend of mine often reminds us, you know, the Buddha did not teach anatta or anything to create another philosophy or to make occasions for more philosophical discussions. He taught it for our freedom from suffering and confusion. And so I want to, I hope that what we can do is take the fear out of the concept of anatta, out of of no self or self. Take the hatred 
out of the idea of self as something we have to destroy and just bring our attention to what's actually happening. And we find out it's really not such a big deal. We can explore this on a moment-to-moment basis. I just want to say a little bit about Ajahn Buddhadasa because uh, I found him quite inspiring. He died in 93. He was one of the most famous Thai forest monks, meditation teachers, scholars. And he founded uh, a temple, a wat, in southeastern Thailand, a forest monastery. And he was really quite radical. Even up until the time he died, he was radical for Thai Theravada Buddhism. For example, he had in his monastery what was called a spiritual theater, sort of like a museum, and it had all different kinds of paintings and artwork. It had the 10 Zen ox herding pictures in it. I think you have to have been in Thailand and know how kind of provincial at times um, Thai Theravada Buddhism can be to see that it was really quite unusual for a renowned uh, abbot to have Zen stuff in his, in his uh, monastery. Anyway, he says in his book, Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree, which is a really good book, I recommend it, if you want to read more about just recognizing sense of self and emptiness. He talks about how when he first, in the 30s, when he really began his teachings, Emptiness or anatta was sort of considered among the, um, the sangha, among the monks and nuns, something you didn't really teach to lay people because they couldn't get it. You know, it was sort of saved for the people who had, were really committed, you know, and had all the time to look at it. And he said, you know, that's baloney. Okay, maybe he didn't use the word baloney, but (laughs) something to that effect. (laughs) He said, you know, I'm, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Salted fish, you know, (laughs) dried squid. (laughs) (laughs) You're lucky, by the way, that you get the meals you get here and not the meals they get in some milk. And a little bit, um, I can see in, in us, uh, us teaching here, subtle remnants of that. Like we had, like we kept discussing, should I give this talk on Anatta tonight, or what's the right night of the retreat, or is this too late because soon it'll be over and people might get disturbed, and all it's like, hey, this is the core of freedom of this teaching, and we're worried if you might get a little bit disturbed or something. <laughs> if you hear it, what's going on? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so, so I really want to talk about this, and because for me, this is the, the core point of freedom. And you don't have to wait for some profound dissolution experience in meditation to begin to and to continue to develop a deep understanding that is not just of the intellect, to really experience emptiness 
to experience the birth and death of the sense of self in any moment. This can be our practice on retreat, off retreat, as long as we're willing to pay attention. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Buddhadasa, in in this book, emptiness is often translated as voidness. I'm going to stick to emptiness. Emptiness meaning any particular moment experience is empty of self, is empty of me and mine. This is not an esoteric, out-of-body, incredibly out-there experience necessarily. It's truly natural and normal. In fact, all of us experience many, many moments of this in every day. We just don't notice it most of the time. The nature of mind, big mind, you could say mind is a hard word to use, the nature of who we are sometimes is referred to as awareness. There's no one word that can really describe or encapsulate it. But when we're not distracted by becoming involved in arising appearances with our ideas, our reactions, basically our clinging to whatever is happening, getting fixated on and involved in whatever is happening, when we're not distracted in that way, when we're just awake and present, there's no feeling in that moment of I or mine. It's just this. Those moments when things are just so peaceful is a moment like that. And we can recognize this over and over. More often what we recognize is the ways that we get distracted from recognizing this emptiness, if you want to call it. The way some sense experience arises and we get all involved in some concoction of liking and disliking and what it means and how I was five and what's going to happen next and all of this, and it's just a sound. And we get all involved in that, or why am I doing this, or why does this have to happen, why can't I just be with a sound? It's so simple, you know, it's just a sound. And we notice that, and we don't notice when that's not happening quite often. The root of all this distraction of the clinging and the pushing away, which is really the flip side of clinging, is this false view of self. This clinging to any experience as I or mine. Buddha Dasa calls it eyeing and myeing, which I really like because it's not a solid thing. It's an arising experience in any moment. Something arises and it's eyeing it or myeing it. I like that. Unexamined. Most of us, if we don't really look, doesn't it feel like the sense of I is pretty much usually here? And it seems pretty steady. It, it seems like often the one thing that does not abide by the law of impermanence. It feels pretty solid, if we don't look. So what we can do in this practice is to take our mindfulness, our wise attention, our wisdom eye, and turn it back onto the experience of I or mine itself when we notice that that's present. It's 
So that's what I want to talk about tonight, hopefully in a practical way. What one way of describing a sense of I, the way Ajahn Buddha Dasa speaks of it, it's so simple. He says the sense of self is merely a condition that arises when there is grasping and clinging in the mind. That's all. Grasping and clinging arises, sense of self arises. It's a condition that arises, and if it arises, you know what that means, it also passes as soon as there isn't grasping and clinging in the mind. Or as a friend of mine puts it, this is his experience, he says, I want, I need, therefore I am. (laughs) Very succinct. (laughs) So with mindfulness wisdom, satipanya, truth-discerning awareness, we can begin and continue to recognize the arising and passing of this condition that we call self. It's a different condition each time. There's nothing permanent, but we can begin to explore how it arises, how it is experienced when it's present, and how it passes. It really takes a lot of the oomph out of it. It takes a lot of the fear, a lot of the solidity out of this so-called sense of self to begin to explore it because it's just like any other arising appearance. It's just like some thought arising, some emotion arising. It just comes and goes. It's nothing in particular. So just an example. The birth of sense of self in a moment. I was on a retreat last year. And this does not particularly retreat experience. This is how it happens all the time. It was at IMS in Barry. And the way the mealtimes work there, well, it's much like here. You walk in, get your plates, and there's a whole big shelf of mugs, you know, that have sort of been collected from all the people who leave mugs. So they're all different. And so for weeks, I would just come in, take a mug, get, get my tea. But for some reason, this particular morning, the mug I picked was just really nice. This this lovely color green, and it fits so nicely in my hand. And in short, somewhere as I was drinking my tea and feeling, oh, this is really pleasant, this is really pleasant, boom. The real sense of attachment to that pleasant feeling and then to that mug came in. (laughs) It's just this mundane. And in that was the birth of me, me and my mug. That's it, eyeing and myeing right there. It wasn't too much suffering at the moment. We don't really notice it then. We're just noticing the pleasure at that point. But that was the birth of the self with the birth of clinging. And this is the dependent origination that the Buddha talked about. And I'm not going to go into it. It's, very, it's, it's really the core of his teaching of how with ignorance and the arising of experience, we end up in suffering in a moment. There's ignorance, and then with sense contact, there's a sense door, I, there's a sense object, the mug, there's consciousness, awareness of that. Those come together, there's contact, I'm seeing the nice green mug, there's pleasant feeling, there's clinging, there's craving first, I like it, there's clinging, I want it, in fact, I want it in the next meal that I have, 
and that leads to, boom, birth of self, suffering, death, because what's born has to die. That's the dependent origination. That's the birth of self in any particular moment. Next time it happens to you, of course it's not happening to you, is it? It's just happening out of emptiness. Next time there's that birth of that feeling of self, turn your attention on and feel it. Just be with the experience. I can describe how it is in this mind and body. Don't then transplant that onto you. For example, that me and my mug, a sense of contraction, a sense of grasping and clinging that is a tightness, a kind of a limitation. It narrows the consciousness. What had been just relaxed, open, and free was now this mug. Everything else is sort of blotted out. Other people are in the way of my getting this mug (laughs) the next time that I come in to the meal. And in fact, when I finished the meal, I really started thinking, okay, maybe I should save it. Some people save mugs, and they're all hidden, you know, all behind the plants and behind the curtains and everything. And I did have the grace to say, okay, forget that, Carol, you know, and I put it back. But then you see, birth of self leads to more wanting, more activity, more plotting and scheming. And I managed to, next time I came, I really looked. And there it was, my mug, and I grabbed it. I said, oh, good, I have it. But it wasn't really so pleasant. In fact, the narrowness, the constriction of this sense of me, the sense of mine, was actually quite unpleasant. And I saw, you know what? I don't need this. And I just put it down, and in that moment was the death of self. And again, there was expansiveness, ease, just what is. That's a simple example. But it happens hundreds and hundreds of times in any day. And instead of just feeling victimized or not noticing it or getting involved in what we can do you know, to continue with the pleasantness, can simply notice that process, that contact, that wanting, the birth of self, eyeing and mying, and when the clinging ends, as it will for that particular time, it will definitely end, it will disappear. It's really important to notice that as well, because then we begin to realize that the perception of continuity of self is an illusion. So in that moment of putting down the mug and there's just sitting or hearing, sensation, no particular sense of self, there's just that shunyata, that emptiness at that moment. Notice that. Often we don't. Often we just kind of say, okay, and almost as if we dull out the ignorance coming in until the next birth of self comes, something else to react against or into or do or create or some intensity. But this emptiness is often just that. And it's easy to not really be awake there. There's no grasping in that moment, there's no aversion in that moment, but there also needs to be no delusion in that moment, delusion in the form of just dulling out and not noticing. Ah, just this. And it doesn't really matter what this is. So I want to talk some more about exploring 
this, I'm using the word sense, but the sense or the feeling or whatever, when there comes an awareness that I or mine is being born or is present in a particular moment of experience, turning the awareness back onto that experience itself. Not thinking about it, not you know trying to analyze what is this, but really turn the attention around what is this I? What am I calling I in this moment? What is being clung to in this moment? Because clinging is just a habit of mind. And with truth-discerning awareness, with mindfulness wisdom, when we notice it, as I think, was it this morning or last night? They said, when, when you're aware of clinging, in that moment of mindfulness, actually clinging isn't happening. It's almost like we're observing the moment before it so fast. But in that moment, clinging is not being perpetuated. I is not being perpetuated. Turn around and see that. The habit can be seen through. So I just want to give examples of some of the basic experiences we cling to. It's not a comprehensive list, and I hope I don't get too too detailed. Some of it is we can see it in all times of our life, on retreat, off retreat. Some of it's a little more subtle, and the mind needs to be a little quiet to notice. But of the obvious first experience we cling to in a large way, we would call the body. But to take it into our actual experience, again, out of the realm of idea, when we're clinging to my body, what is actually the experience of clinging, of being clung to? When you turn and look at it, it kind of deconstructs the sense of self. Well, let me give you a couple of examples. You're sitting with your eyes closed, and there's a pain in your knee. And the attention might go there, and it's like a twinging pain in my knee. And that's the experience. And there might be some either clinging to wanting it to be better, to the sense of my knee. Certainly, it feels like my body. Whether it's my body or I am the body, either one. There's some sense of eyeing and myeing in that. But really look. What is being called my body, my knee, at that moment? When I turn my attention, remember, you're sitting with your eyes closed, and there's a twinge. How do you even know where it is in space? Never mind that it's knee. What is giving you that information? When I look at my experience, there's a twinge. And this is how it is for me. It might be different for you. I just am inviting you to look with attention. There's a twinge. And then it's almost as if there's a mental image of my body, you know, with a little, like, emphasis on the area of knee. Although it's actually not here, you know, it's like a little image here somewhere, placed down there, but it's all just mental image. It's actually nothing to do with body at all. It's mentality. And then there's a physical sensation, twinge. And it might be pleasant, it might be unpleasant. I don't know if if this is too complicated, but just look the next time you're saying, my back hurts, I have a headache. Even if your eyes are open, you can't see your back. 
You can feel a sensation, and there might be a sense of where it is. You might feel parts of your whole body, but really it's like that big mind meditation we did the other morning. If you really tune in, the sensations are just floating in the space of awareness, and then there's this concept of my body put on top of it. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that when we cling to that concept and don't see it, we're in this identification of this is me, this is my body. And what's actually happening is sensation, mental image, pleasant or unpleasant, and clinging to one or all of the above. Don't think about it. (laughs) Really don't think about it. I'm just saying these things to point you back to your experience. Thinking about it completely takes you away. So as soon as you feel confused by something I'm saying, forget it. I'm serious. I'm serious. And let your attention come back to your actual experience. Because what keeps this sense of me and mine going is thinking about it and not realizing it's just thoughts. So just come back. Like the wind today, when I feel, oh, I'm so cold. My hands are cold. I look down at them. My fingers get bone white. My body feels so contracted. I can't deal well with the cold. I'm so miserable. I'm so cold. When I would just stop and open my attention and just be with sensations, there was just sensations arising and passing, hearing, arising and passing. That was it. Some of the sensations were pleasant. Some of them were unpleasant. And they changed really rapidly. That was it. All the rest was thoughts, images, story concocted that I didn't see as thoughts and images, and there was clinging to it. That's a lot of way that the sense of self is created moment to moment and carried on in time through thoughts and stories about it. And I'll say more about that in a minute. Another aspect of experience that there's often clinging to and feels like self, and we often don't notice because we don't look or we don't notice it, is that aspect of every sense experience that it's either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. It's called Vedana in Pali, sometimes translated as feeling tone. It's what the Buddha called the second foundation of mindfulness. So, for instance, I was talking about the cold sensations. Experience them as unpleasant. Or if there's a really nice, pleasant sensation. You have a sitting, and the breath is really smooth and deep, and it's pleasant. And you're aware of, you're sort of aware of liking it. And you're aware, you're really saying, I know this is going to change. I'm really not attached. And we're very sincere. But when the next sitting, everything's chaos, and we find out somehow we really were attached, and we don't quite know where the clinging was. Because often the clinging, it's not actually to the breath, it's to the pleasant feeling that goes along with it. Each slow breath had a pleasant feeling. It's subtle. We often don't notice that and get attached to the pleasantness or aversive to the unpleasantness. 
That's why there's uh, often an emphasis just to notice at times when it's obvious that aspect of experience. Like you sit in the sun, warmth, warmth, liking. Notice just the pleasant quality. Just notice it, that's all. Then you might see how the clinging comes into the pleasantness itself. Again, Buddha Dasa speaks a lot about how what a useful practice it is in our daily life to notice the wave-like nature of pleasant feeling as we go through our daily experiences. There's so much that's pleasant. He says, how much pleasant feeling have you experienced in your life in just one day? So much. And how long has any of it lasted? It lasts like this. And, And then there's another pleasant feeling or unpleasant feeling. And he says, how much of our experience do we value by how pleasant it is? The more pleasant feeling something arouses in our experience, the better it is and the more we tend to value it. Meditation is the opposite of this. (laughs) That's why sometimes people say, I don't know what I'm doing here again. Because I'm here for some reason, but it's been so hard. And it's really a sincere thing, because generally, if something's unpleasant and difficult, we're out of here. But we keep coming back, even though it's difficult, and that doesn't fit with this general assumption that the more pleasant, the better it is. But really watch that. The wave-like nature of pleasant comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. And just to see that, see how often when the sense of I is there, when you just feel here and solid, turn the attention on, and quite often it's pleasant feeling that the clinging is around, even more than the actual experience that's engendering the pleasant feeling. Okay, so aspects of the body, this feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, of course, there's a lot of clinging arises too. The aspect of our experience of mentality, thoughts and emotions. Obviously, with both thoughts and emotions, at times the clinging is so quick and subtle, we don't even recognize it. How often does it just feel, this emotion is me? It's not that I like even this sadness, or I like this bliss. It's, it often just feels like, well, this is just me. That's how it is. That's how kind of close the clinging can be. Thoughts and emotions are often, can be difficult to notice that that's what the clinging is arising to because they come so quickly, they change so quickly, and they're so interconnected. Have you noticed that, how a thought gives rise to emotion, and as soon as you notice the emotion, there's all these other thoughts, and then they give another emotion, and it, it just keeps kind of ricocheting off each other, and then there's a few sensations in there that give rise to unpleasantness and more emotions and thoughts, and it happens so fast that often it's really hard to turn your attention and go, well, what is the clinging to, or where is this sense of self? It just, just feels like me. But at times when the mind is a little quiet, we can actually watch how from a very mundane experience, 
this sense of self is created and gets solid in, in that amount of time. Very mundane. I remember one time I was doing walking meditation, one of those times when it's just walking, nothing going on. It's just so nice. We like it like that. And just walking, and I had a turtleneck on, and I just ran my finger under my turtleneck, and I was aware of it, you know, sensation, sensation. And just in that moment of running my finger, there was like a mental image, you know how like you see yourself, as if, sometimes as if looking out from behind my eyes, but seeing my body and imagining how I look doing that. I mean, such a little neutral kind of experience. But as soon as I'm doing that, that mental image, which is all fine, there was no particular clinging, and then a sense of almost as if seeing myself through someone else's eyes and, and the unspoken thought, oh, I wonder what I look like, you know? Do I look like a, you know, a typical yogi schlump or am I looking kind of okay? <laughs> and, <laughs> And in that moment, this is just a little thing, you know. This wasn't like a huge insecurity, just like that. In that moment, clump, clinging, birth of I, my image, myself, my body. So fast and so subtle. None of those things in themselves are a problem. It's just when there's clinging to that, what do people think of me? That thought and that fear then there's a sense of self. Now, it's interesting, as soon as you feel that, for me, the sense of self, that there comes a feeling of contraction, of solidity almost, that wasn't there the moment before. And it's all the same experiences, the image, the sensation, the thought. The sense of self is like a solidifying of that. No experience in itself is any problem or necessarily has to be clung to or identified with. It really doesn't matter what the experience is. I'll give you an example of that. Again, how the sensations, thoughts, and emotions, and the stories we tell in thoughts really coagulate the sense of self, and how in any moment we can cut through it. Again, I think this was a different retreat. I was sitting and pretty quiet, just, I mean, in an open kind of space, not super concentrated, just being with things, and just noting, you know, hearing, hearing, tickling, tickling, sensing, sensing, coughing, coughing, tickling, 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 tickling. Oh, my God, this is bronchitis. And that thought, oh, my God, this is bronchitis, was really clung to. I arose strongly in that moment. And I had had bronchitis really severely about two months previously and had been quite sick. And as soon as that thought was clung to, panic arose, and that was clung to in the future and my plans, and I don't have time for this, you know, I've got things to do, I can't get sick again, and I'm on retreat, and it really went wild. And then I thought, what's really happening here? (laughs) Tickling, tickling, (laughs) coughing, coughing, thinking, thinking. That was it. And the whole thing went away. I mean, not the tickling, coughing, the panic, the fear, my life, dreadful illness. It was really just what it was. And then I could see the thoughts again, the panic again. Well, what am I going to do about it? Should I go to the doctor? And all of that. 
I said, okay, just come back to the bare experience, and the whole self would subside again. Buddha Dasa has a phrase which he actually uses in a different context, but I like it in this context, which is volunteering for suffering. <laughs> and I saw in that moment when I could almost, it was almost like a choice, yes, I'm going to really go into this, oh my God, it's bronchitis mode, and suffer. Because at any moment, the attention can come back and just be with tickling, tickling, thinking, thinking, and there's no problem. And that doesn't mean that we become non-functional in the world. I know this is one of the questions that often comes up. If everything's just tickling, tickling, thinking, thinking, <laughs> then how do we function? How do we take care of ourselves? You know, Well, actually, when the sitting ended and I could just be with what was tickling, tickling, and I noticed the experience, I said, you know what? It is bronchitis. But that was just a recognition. It didn't have all the extra stuff along with it at all. can recognize it and still no particular sense of self, just a recognition of conditions, a perception. Oh yeah, these things put together make bronchitis. And I went and saw the doctor and got the antibiotics and it was fine. So actually, the functioning is much more sane and appropriate when we're not lost in this eyeing and myeing, and we're just present with experience. So don't worry that you're somehow going to be, you know, kind of off in the ozone, lost in emptiness, when there's no sense of self. It's actually just the reverse, because there isn't any self. You can't lose it. There isn't a self here. <laughs> it's not like we're getting rid of something. Nothing changes but that we begin to recognize what's actually happening anyway. So it just makes things a lot easier. It makes things a lot simpler. Emotions, emotions are tricky because I'm sure, well, I shouldn't assume, but for many of us, there are certain emotions that are somehow certain emotions somehow feel much more me than others. Some seem much more solid, or when they come, oh, that's that anxiety. That's really the core of my being. And I may not always be anxious. You know, once in a while I can see it go, but by golly, I know it's going to come back as soon as I'm in any particular situation because that's really who I am. You know, and so I can be mindful of it, I can be with it, I can really accept it, but there's still some subtle clinging of I or mine to that particular emotion, whether it's judgment or love or anxiety or fear or whatever it happens to be. As we've said over and over, it's really helpful to notice the beginnings and endings as with everything, but particularly with the emotions that you feel are very sticky. Just notice that there are gaps in it. Notice how often someone will come into an interview and really have been in a very painful, difficult time with particular emotions. I mean, really, really working with it very well, but it's hard. And and in talking about it and describing it, you kind of realize, oh, but actually, it's not here at all right now. And it can seem a little 
is kind of a relief, but often a little puzzling, because it seems so solid, so much part of who we are. One way I like to just turn the attention back and again explore that sense of clinging, that sense of selfing around an emotion, is to just notice the difference when an emotion's just what it is. There's sadness or anxiety or judgment or happiness. It's just what it is. The emotion itself is not a problem. doesn't mean there has to be a clinging or a sense of self. And then the difference when it's not just sadness, but my sadness, or I'm sad. There's a little extra that's the clinging. It has a little different experience, a little different mental, physical experience. So just explore that for yourself. You learn to tell, in a way, when sadness is just that, just moving through space of awareness like a cloud, and when sadness has become clung to, an eye has arisen as an object, as a being at that time. It's noticing the birth of self as emotion. Just a couple of other aspects of experience I want to mention briefly to explore. Don't try to get this all now, but just to explore. And they're, they're somewhat subtle, but one that is really easily clung to, because often not even recognized, is this experience of intention, the intention that gives rise to speech, that gives rise to any particular action. We've spoken about it some, and especially if you were here for both retreats. But intention is the, you could call it the urge that arises that lets the arm move. We couldn't move without that. It's a mental experience that kind of, as it were, gives the signal for the arm to move, for the voice to come out for the thoughts to form, for me to say what I want to say. And we can we often explore it. People will talk about it in sittings or doing the walking. And really, somehow, there's an itch, and they're really aware. And all of a sudden, we're scratching. We say, I don't know how that happened. I really didn't mean to scratch, but somehow it was there. I kind of just spaced out for a moment, and scratching happened. Or we're in the walking meditation feeling really present, and the next thing you know, you're in the cafeteria having a cup of tea. (laughs) And you go, how did I get here? I was really into the walking meditation. Those are intentions that weren't recognized. And that happens all the time. I mean, there's intentions arising every moment. We're never going to recognize them all. Don't even try. You'll make yourself crazy. But we can notice the big ones, you know, Some intention got you to come here. At the end of the sitting, an intention arises to stand up. You can play with it at times. You can feel, for example, just sometime before you sit, feel the intention to stand up and then don't do it. And then feel it again and then don't do it. It's kind of fun or with an itch, you know, intending to say like you just about do it and then you don't. You just about and then you don't. It's kind of a way to just get that sense of what an intention is. And then see just one moment of not noticing and whack, we're up there scratching. So that's just to get the feeling of intention. 
Now, (laughs) (laughs) intention is just another effect arising from a previous cause. It's just part of cause and effect. There's an itch, an unpleasant sensation. There's a thought, I don't like this. There's the intention to scratch, which leads to the movement, which leads to the scratching, which leads to the intention to think, oh, I blew it. I should have been mindful. It's just all a series of cause and effect. But it's really common that we think, what do you mean? Who's scratching? I'm scratching. Whose idea was it to scratch? Mine. Whenever there's a a talk about intention at the three-month course and about no self, either one of them, you can almost bet money that somebody the next day will say, if there's no self, who had the intention to come to this retreat? If there's no self, who has the intention to stand up? And so the classical answer is nobody. Intention just arises out of causes and in itself becomes a cause for another effect. It's just a chain of appearances arising. A sensation, an intention, a movement, a sensation, a thought, an intention. They just all cause and effect, arising and passing, arising and passing. The I, that clinging, when clinging, which is just another effect arising from cause. We also cling to clinging. When the clinging to that intention arises, see, this is kind of subtle, but it's that feeling of, of course I'm the one standing up, you know? This is another really good one not to think about. (laughs) No, I'm serious. (laughs) Intention, and the next one I'm going to say, and then I'll say a little thing about both of them not thinking about. The next piece is who's aware? Who is mindful? Mindfulness arises in a moment. Or I'm aware of the intention to stand up, the intention to scratch. Awareness happens. It's very easy for the subtle clinging of my awareness or I'm awareness to arise. And it's so subtle it won't even probably feel like clinging. But doesn't it really feel like if I said, who's aware? Well, I am, obviously. When I say don't think about it, either this, intention or awareness, because it's the thinking about it that actually seems to solidify that birth of self. What do you mean? I'm not intention. How, how does that work? Well, if I'm not intention, then, then what is it? And if I'm not aware, then what is awareness? How can awareness just arise? And then we start thinking. And the clinging is coming in to those thoughts. The self, the eyeing, is happening around those thoughts. And we think ourselves into a really solid sense of self. And remember in the last retreat, and this happens every time, after the talk on Anatta, a lot of people were coming in going, I've got to get it, I've got to get this. And just that is the clinging to thinking that makes the self seem so solid, like it's something we'll never see through. In that moment, no. Whenever you notice that sense of self, though, rather than trying to think your way out of it, just turn the attention, 
Never mind who's turning the attention. Just let me... Just let an intention may arise from a memory arising of having heard these words. An intention arises that the attention turns back on the experience of who is thinking this? And just see what is that experience in that moment. Very simply, just explore it. Drop into that experience with wise attention. And I find I actually, when I'm on a long retreat, and I'm, if I'm using noting, this is a note I have. I, the note is actually self. I tried to explain this to Upandita once, and boy, it really didn't work. He just got hysterical. Ha ha, you think there's a self. Ha ha ha, you know self. <laughs> it really didn't go anywhere. But <laughs> what I actually do is when I feel that sense that without looking, one would call self. I turn the attention back on it. I note it as self, but I connect with what the attention connects with what's the real experience. And guess what? It's always just one of the six sense experiences. Maybe it's pressure. Maybe it's an image. Maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's tingling. Maybe it's an emotion. Maybe it's a memory. It's usually almost always something different but it's just an arising momentary appearance that there's clinging in that moment, too. It's really like nothing. It's nothing special. And each time we turn our attention there, it's no big deal. You just see it. It passes. The next thing arises. To do this over and over, it's really an activity in our daily life, in conversation, Whenever you begin to notice that sense of self, just bring the attention there and see what's truly there. Birth and death of self many, many times in one day. So rather than trying to get rid of self, we simply begin to see through its illusory nature over and over and over. And the heart and mind just naturally begins to incline to stillness. The stillness of not needing to get so reactively involved in experience. So nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I or mine. That means nothing whatsoever. (laughs) It doesn't mean nothing except, you know, the teachings or nothing except this idea I have, or nothing except, you know, views of practice or sense of self or anything. It means nothing. Whatever's arising in a moment, it's not worth clinging to. It's the clinging that creates the suffering. And it's so poignant, because the clinging is really in service of wanting to find completion. And it's the clinging that blinds us to the completion and ease that's already here and always here when there's a heart and mind of no clinging and vivid wakefulness. So it's also true, Buddhadasa again, if at any moment any person has a mind empty of clinging, 
to I and mine in any moment, even if only for an instant. At that moment, it means that the heart, the mind, has realized emptiness. Even if only for an instant. And that can be very powerful. I know know for years I was waiting because I thought, when the heart realizes emptiness, all these lights go off, and that's it. It's realized it forever, done, finished. And it's not so, I'm sorry to say. But actually, once I got rid of that idea, you see that it's actually... The heart can recognize emptiness, the mind can rest in emptiness, moments, many, many, many moments in any day. And it does. And so our practice is to continue to recognize this. Not necessarily anything exciting, but it's just as valid a way of recognizing emptiness, no self. This recognizing the birth of the sense of self out of the emptiness and the death of it. And then again, that emptiness. To recognize this over and over and over is just as valid. It goes just as deeply over time in our, in our being so that we really know emptiness as having a really, you know, one of these really profound blowout experiences. Those can be so strong that it kind of cuts through really quickly and we really get it for a while. But even those, after some time, again, you know, you're home arguing with the husband and having to do the dishes and there's a rising of clinging and death and birth of self. Even after a really intense, opening, empty experience, So on this level of moment-to-moment awareness of practice, and this isn't just about being on retreat, this is all the time in our life, it's extremely powerful, and it's absolutely freeing. Because in any moment, when that sense of self is solid, if you remember to turn around and look, it's like, oh. And sometimes you can notice, I don't want to see that this is just clinging. I want to be right, you know, (laughs) clinging to being right. We've used to help us have this sense of emptiness, to to be, as Buddhadasa talks about, learning to be content with these moments of emptiness, because they're often nothing that special. Can we be content with these moments? And we actually then grow to appreciate and incline more towards the stillness of these moments. But first we need to keep recognizing and being content with that with things just as they are. We've often, we've used here the metaphor of space a lot as a way to help us re-recognizing, re-recognize the heart-mind of non-clinging. It's a metaphor, it's not a completely accurate description, but it is helpful because, as Buddhadasa again says, we normally don't recognize the emptiness because we're so involved with the experience and concocting our thoughts about it and our stories about it. So when we remember the space, it doesn't mean we dissociate from experience or shut it out, but we see that there's this that we're fixated on, 
but there's all that space. That's why, for me, being here in the desert is such a great place to explore arising of sense of self and resting in emptiness. Because I can be caught up in any particular thing. You know, maybe I had a difficult interview, I'm working on my talk, or I had an argument with somebody, or I'm just tired. I just walk out and look at the desert. And just the sky immediately, there's just the space of awareness. And the difficult thing is also still arising. It's not like, oh, there's space. Nothing else is here. I don't know what's happening. It's just, you know, (laughs) spacious emptiness. It's kind of a false emptiness that we can fall into at times. That it feels really nice, but we don't have a clue in life what's arising and passing within the space. It's like walking in the desert and tripping over the choya, you know, because we're so lost. That's not really the emptiness I'm talking about. That leads to indifference, to disconnection. True emptiness has that spaciousness, but it's not necessarily the space of spreading out. It's the space of not being fixated on whatever objects arising. We know it's there, but we also recognize the space around it in the heart and mind of non-clinging. So it might be actual space, but it also allows for an immediacy of connection to any particular experience so exquisitely present. And there's still that spaciousness, that stillness, because there's non-clinging in it. An experience someone told me on this retreat She was sitting and just noting what was arising, and there was a really loud, sudden noise, which happens here a lot. And just a really loud, sudden noise. The attention noticed it, hearing, and it really, you know, startled into a vivid wakefulness, hearing. And then she said, as if the mind went to go back and realized, oh, there's nowhere to go back to. It's just this. And that was not fearful. That was an experience for her of such joy and lightness and freedom. Just this. And I saw her not too long after that. And she had just been in that space. Just the ants. Just the wind. Just the smell. Just the sensation. Just this. That is like an exquisite presence in the heart and mind of non-clinging. It's spaciousness. It doesn't mean spaced out. It's spacious because there's not this fixated involvement. So when we use space as a metaphor, it's to help us re-recognize this quality of non-clinging. It's not to go off into outer space. So as I said, this true, true moment of emptiness heart and mind of non-clinging. It doesn't really matter what experience happens to be coming and going. There's just this experience. It's exquisitely present, but it's empty of any I or mine, any separate self. And it doesn't lead us into a kind of passivity or disconnection from life or dissociation. But actually, it's the clinging. It's that eyeing and mying that creates the sense of separation, of fear, of me and other, of needing to protect, of needing to 
hold back, when there's just that simplicity of presence without constructing an eye around it in any moment, that's what gives birth to true compassion. That's where real connectedness comes out of because we see that's really what's true. I just want to close with two quotations from two different Tibetans. From Padampa Sangye, once you realize emptiness, and remember, realize it just for a moment. It doesn't have to be the final one. Once you realize emptiness, it would be absurd to do anything harmful. When you realize emptiness, compassion arises with it simultaneously. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Emptiness of eyeing and mying means everything is present here in this moment. And Tulku Urgen, the natural expression of awareness is the flame-like heat of compassion. The flame-like heat of compassion. It doesn't mean this is kind of cooled out, floating on a cloud. There can be active, total engagement and presence because there's nothing that needs to be held back, no self that needs to be held separate. Let the entire game happen on its own, springing up and falling back like waves, without changing or manipulating anything, and everything vanishes and reappears, magically, without end. Nothing changes, and everything changes. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.